You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, a, a couple years ago, I went to England to, uh, to shadow this pastor there, and, and while I was there, he introduced me some, to some of his different friends and set up these different meetings with some of his different friends, and one of the guys that I met with uh, was, uh, his title is the Vicar General of London. I know that means absolutely nothing to you. It basically still means nothing to me. Give you an idea who this is. Uh, the Vicar General of London, he's the right-hand man of the Bishop of London. Give you an idea who that is. The Bishop of London is the guy who did the wedding ceremony for Prince William and Kate. Doesn't make it any more cool. I'm just saying that kind of gives you some perspective on who he is. And so I had a meeting with him on, uh, I don't remember what day of the week it was, but uh, I went and I don't know how to dress for the meeting with the Vicar General of London. So I showed up like I always dress, which is jeans and basically a t-shirt. So I showed up, meet him. Uh, it's called the Deanery, which is right across the street from St. Paul's Cathedral, which is this massive, very well-known cathedral. Um, and the Deanery is basically where the bishop lives, and it's where this guy's office was. And so we meet up, and he says, hey, well, uh, let's walk and talk as we uh, walk through St. Paul's Cathedral. And I'm like, sweet, that sounds cool. So we go across the street, and there's like security everywhere around the cathedral. There's lines of people gathering around, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just, I'm an out-of-towner. I'm just here. I'm with the vicar general. And uh, nobody's allowed into the cathedral, but uh, me and the vicar, we just walk on up, walk right through, and go up the steps in front of everyone, every, everybody. I'm thinking, yeah, that's pretty sweet. What's up, y'all? And uh, we go into the cathedral, and we just start ta- walking around and talking, and it's set up. There's obviously an event happening that night. And as we're walking and talking for about 30 minutes, eventually, uh, the vicar general says to me, hey, do you want to stay for this event tonight? And I kind of looked down at myself, and I was like, well, I mean, sure, am I dressed okay? And he's like, yeah, you'll be, you'll be fine. And so he calls this guy over. And this guy comes over, and he's got one of those, like, really, it's an Anglican church. And so he's got one of these, like, you know, really Anglican-looking robes on. He runs over to the vicar general, and, and, and he whispers in his ear, and he says, basically tells him, get me a seat. And so uh, he finds me a seat. He puts my name on it. I get my name on the seat. It's like two rows from the very front of this whole thing. I'm thinking, this is going to be sweet. And, uh, and so we're hanging out talking, and then the same guy comes running up to this guy, Nick, the vicar general, again. And, and he says to Nick, he whispers in Nick's ear, and, and Nick all of a sudden kind of perks up, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, we got to go across the street real quick. I have to change. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, well, Princess Anne's going to be here. And I'm like, sweet, who's that? And uh, he's like, she's one of the princesses. She's like, you know, royalty. So they're going to have this big royal procession in and all this stuff. So he's like, he has to put on his special garb. And I, again, I look down at myself and I'm like, bro, is this, is, this, is this good? Like, am I okay to, you know, still be dressed like this? And he's like, yeah, you'll be fine. And so, uh, whatever. So we go across the street, the street, he changes. We come back over and now this place is full of people. And, like, these people are dressed in, like, tuxedos and stuff, suits, you know, super nice clothes. And I'm wearing this, basically. And uh, I got moved to the back because I was dressed so bad, but uh, it doesn't matter. And so we sit there, and then the princess comes in. And they have this huge ceremony for when she comes in. Like, I don't know if you kind of can get this picture in your mind, but those guards that stand outside of Buckingham Palace with those big fuzzy hats that, you know, everybody wants to take a picture next to. Well, those kind of guards lead her in. And they got these big red jackets with these poofy things on their shoulders and these sticks that they're holding and stuff. I don't know. It's crazy. Play all this special music. She sits down. They do the whole ceremony. I'm sitting in the back. And, uh, and afterwards, uh, you know, Nick comes up to me and he grabs me. And, and we're about to kind of try to walk out the back. And I don't know. I don't know all the, like, uh, the, uh, the rules and stuff for when royalty are around. And so they're still in the middle of the procession of leading her out. And I just walk right in front of this thing, and Nick grabs me by the shirt and pulls me back. He's like, dude, you're going to get me in trouble, bro. And, uh, and, and like right then, you know, Princess Anne comes by, and, and like everybody's looking at me like, who is this crazy dude thinking he's about to walk in front of Princess Anne? 
I still don't even really know who Princess Anne is, but. And so we, we leave, and man, it was crazy. It was such a, a, a weird experience for me. And I, and I look back on it, and I think, man, like, I should not have been allowed in that gathering. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, obviously I didn't know, you know, etiquette and all that stuff, but I should not have been allowed in there dressed like this at all. And the reason I share that story with you is because of where we left off last week. And, and, and I actually, I want to do something weird tonight. We're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and I want to go all the way to uh, chapter 15 to start off tonight. So, so turn in your Bibles to chapter 15, verse 50. And we got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm just going to read. You can get there when you get there and catch up. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Listen to what this says. It says, I tell you, brothers, Paul writes, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, in other words, he's saying, listen up, this is a big deal. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And then verse 53 says this, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortal. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Go back to verse 53 and look at what it says. For this perishable body must put on what? What? The imperishable. And this Mortal body must put on what? Oh my gosh, seriously, do y'all always talk like that, really quiet? The mortal body must put on what? The immortality, immortal. Some of you are not properly dressed for this final event. And the thing is, you won't be allowed in because they feel sorry for you. You won't be able to sneak in. You won't be allowed to sit in the back. If you're not properly dressed for this event, you will not be allowed in. You will be denied entry. Here's the thing. Some of you are dead. And you must be clothed with life. It says you must put on. That word put on in other places in the New Testament is translated clothe. You must clothe yourself. And until you are clothed with life, which comes through who? Jesus. Nothing else we talk about tonight matters. The mortal body must put on the immortal. Listen, if we don't start here, then where we're going tonight, it's not even going to make sense. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Remember, we talked about this last week. We talked about this the last two weeks. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are dead people and there are alive people. Which one are you? You are either dead or you are alive. And here's what separates the two. Jesus. Are you dead or are you alive? So then we go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Flip there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And and last week we got through chapter 2 verse 5. We're actually going to back up a little bit. We need to kind of go back and unpack this a little bit more. There's a lot to unpack tonight. I hope in the end it makes sense. Chapter 2 verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, or I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to what he says. He says, I didn't come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. 
In other words, he says, I didn't come to you to, to perform, I came to you to preach. There were a lot of people in his day that were really good performers, but terrible at preaching the truth. There were a lot of people in his day that wanted to gather followers and they wanted to gain fame, but very few who wanted to seek out followers for Christ. Very few who wanted to promote Jesus so that he became more famous. And I know we don't know each other very well in here yet because we haven't spent a lot of time together, those of you who are new, but my hope is that by the end of this semester, really my hope is very soon, you'll, you'll see that we're not going to put on a performance up here in hopes that you'll come back to overflow. We're going to open up the Bible every week and we're going to teach the truth from the Bible every week. And listen, if when tr- teaching the truth you come back, that's great. Maybe God is doing something sweet in your heart. But I don't want to preach to you in such a way that you fall in love with overflow. I want to preach to you in such a way that you fall in love with Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I don't want to preach to you in such a way that you're impressed with me. I want to preach to you in such a way that you're impressed with him. And you look at what he says in verse 3. He goes on, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, if you go back to Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18, that's where we see Paul in Corinth planting this church. And just kind of as a side note, you know, we're studying through 1 Corinthians. And my hope in doing this is that you'll, like, study ahead. You know, you kind of know where we're going to be the next week based on where we finished the week before. And part of studying ahead and learning about this letter is knowing everything you can figure out from Scripture and other resources about Corinth. And one of the things we can do is go back to Acts 18 and see a little bit about Corinth and Paul's experience when he was there. So I hope you'll go back and study Acts 18. But if you go back to Acts 18, he's just said in, in... In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, he said, I came to you in fear and trembling. If you go back to Acts 18, when he was in Corinth, you'll see that when he showed up and he started preaching the gospel, people got hacked off at him. They didn't like it. In fact, it says at one point, all of the Jews, all these people, they united together and attacked Paul. And then they dragged him, they dragged him before the court so that they could could put him on trial, basically. And then God actually comes to Paul in a vision. Verse 9, he says, Don't be afraid, but go on speaking, and don't be silent, for I'm with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. But he's afraid because people were attacking him. This summer, I took a group of students to the Horn of Africa. We were in East Africa. And while we were there, uh, one, a buddy of mine from here, not one of our students, went with us. And he does a lot of work all over the world, and he was sharing with me one night in our hotel room, he was sharing with me about some work that he and another guy had just recently started in northern Africa. And this guy that was with us, uh, he's, he's my age, he's married, he's got two kids, and he was telling us just a few weeks before he was in North Africa. And while there, the country they're in, almost 100% Muslim, very illegal to share the gospel, and they got caught sharing the gospel. And so they were arrested. And typically, from stories that I've heard, typically when you're arrested like this, they, if you're with somebody else, they'll split you up and interrogate you. He said they kept them together. He said, honestly, if they hadn't let us stay together, then I don't know what I would have done. I was terrified. And he said, I was, he, said he was convinced <clears throat> that he wasn't going to be leaving that country anytime soon. He said they were interrogated for about four hours, yelled at, intimidated. And after four hours, they just let him go. Talk about sharing your faith in fear and trembling. Later on in that trip, uh, before we left, we were at this one area where multiple missionaries had come together from around the continent of Africa just to get some time away and to refuel together. And we met this one missionary, this one guy from a country just bordering north of uh, the country that we were in, a country that's 99.9999999% Muslim. 
illegal to share the gospel there. Many of the people who are there that do become Christians are either killed or at least severely persecuted. And this guy, by the way, he's not any different than any of us in this room, except maybe a couple years older. Looks just like us. I mean, weird, just like us. Normal, just like us. And he and his wife decided they're going to pack up and take their tiny little kids overseas to this country where it's no, very rarely drops below 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and they were going to serve the Lord there. You want to talk about sharing the gospel and going somewhere in fear and trembling. I feel like that's what Paul's saying here, and, and I, would ex- I would guess that you would expect me at this point to kind of come through with this, saying this next. Listen, you don't know fear and trembling. You think you're scared when you share the gospel? Man, go to one of these countries and share the gospel. That's fear and trembling. That's not what I want to say to you tonight. I don't think that's what God's word wants to say to you tonight. Because fear is fear, and every single one of us deal with it, and it's real. I'll be super honest with you. I get weird on Tuesdays because I, I, I'm a nervous wreck before getting up here. I'm freaked out. I'm scared every week, and I do weird things. My, my mind is, I mean, if, if, you're, if, if you are ever around me on Mondays or Tuesdays, that 24 hours leading up, you know I get weird. My body gets weird. My colon, hyperactive. My bladder, hyperactive. And then like, sorry, TMI. And then I, 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 I do weird things. Like I check my fly like 25 times before I come up here. I'm glad I did it tonight too, by the way. But I do weird things. And it's because I, it's scary. I'm, I'm afraid. But, but the point that I think God wants you to see from this is, is this. Paul, he went to places that needed to hear the gospel even when those places didn't necessarily welcome him there with the gospel. And something that I've been praying for, for a couple years now, for you, for this ministry, and especially the past few days, is that God would call some of you to go to places like that. And let me tell you something, I believe with all of my heart that God has wired some of you to do some crazy things for him. And this is what's gonna happen, when God calls some of you to do these crazy things for him, your family's going to step in and they're going to say, dude, don't do that. Daughter, whatever, dude. Daughter, don't do that. Like you're crazy. If you're, you, you, whatever you're thinking right now, that's not God. You're crazy. Then your friends are going to say, what are you thinking? You're leaving all this stuff behind. You're leaving us behind. You're leaving all this potential here behind. Don't go over there. And when people say that to you, can I, can I just give you this challenge now? Don't listen to them. Listen to God, just like Paul did, and go. I believe with all of my heart that God has created you and right now is calling some of you. Some of you know exactly who I'm talking to. I believe with all of my heart that God is calling some of you to do some crazy things for him. And I pray that you'd have the courage to say yes and go. So he says, verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. In verse 4, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So I find this very interesting. He says, I came not in words of, uh, what does he say? Speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Instead, he says, they were in demonstration of or in evidence of or proof of the power of the spirit. Now I find this super interesting for a lot of reasons. A couple reasons though. One is this. Just a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, really, 
One of, my, one of, one of y'all asked me, what does a spirit-filled church look like? What does a church look like that is really God's spirit is working in and through that church? What does a spirit-filled church look like? There is a, the other reason I find this interesting is because, you know, every year we have students come and they get connected in this ministry. They plug in and they get in life groups and communities and we start to pour into them. And then suddenly, without warning, they just leave and they go to another church. And let me just side note here for a second. If you're ever in ministry, I just want to tell you now, don't waste your emotion on getting discouraged when that happens because it's going to happen. It's not going to make sense. In fact, you will be surprised out of your mind at the people that you pour hours and hours and hours into encouraging, challenging, shepherding, truly loving them, and then at the drop of the hat, they're gone. They leave. They go to another church. And listen, I have no problem people going to another church. That's not the issue here. Okay, hear that. That's not the issue. My issue is be in a church that's preaching the gospel and then plug into that church. I don't care where it is. If it's here, excellent. But the point is this. So many people will leave, and, and because I care, I'll ask them, why'd you leave? And then they say something. You know, there's all, all kinds of answers, but this is an answer that comes up somewhat often. They'll say, well, I left because, man, that church, they just seem like, it seems like God's spirit is really moving in that church. They seem like such a spirit-filled church. And so I'll ask, well, what do you mean by spirit-filled? What do you mean by that? And again, there's different answers, but here's some of the common answers. They'll say, man, their worship music is awesome. I love it. I really connect with it. It's just spirit-filled. Or they'll say, man, this guy was prophesying over me. Like, okay, cool. Or they'll say, man, I mean, like, they're spirit-filled. Like, they speak in tongues there, and like, man, they just worship freely there. And that's why I find this verse in chapter 2, verse 4, very interesting. Because listen to what he says again. He says, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul's saying, look, my speech and my message were not flashy, but it gave evidence of, it gave proof that the Holy Spirit was working powerfully in and through me. So in other words, his ministry proved to be a spirit-filled ministry by this. He preached the gospel clearly and in its simplicity, and as a result, people's lives were changed forever. I mean, if you go back to Acts 18 and you, and you read through that, I hope you do, you'll see what he did. I mean, I went through and looked at Every time it says that Paul was doing th- something, here's three things it says he did. Acts 18 verse 4, it says, he reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade people to follow Jesus. Acts 18 5, it says, Paul was occupied, like these people show up to help him, and it says that Paul was occupied, he was busy with one thing, and that was preaching the word, testifying about Jesus Christ. Acts 18, 11, it says he stayed after God gave him this vision. He wanted to leave, but God says, no, stay. It says he stayed, and he stayed there for a long time teaching the word of God. And then you look at the result of his work there. Chapter 18, verse 8, you see that Crispus, one of the lead guys in that town, and his whole household come to know Christ. And then it says many Corinthians became believers, and then it says they went public with it. They were baptized. That's a big deal, like, for people to go public and they were baptized. And then it says, verse 13, they're, they're pulling him before the judge. They're trying to get him in trouble, and they're, they're talking about him. They're saying, this guy's persuading people to follow Jesus. So he's clearly persuading people, having an impact on persuading people to follow Jesus. And then that verse 17, the last verse of that section, there's a guy mentioned named Sosthenes. Everybody say Sosthenes. Weird name. Sosthenes. And this guy was trying to pursue, persecute Paul. In fact, he's one of the guys that was trying to pull him in front of the court to get him in trouble. And it doesn't work, 
So the crowd actually turns on Sosthenes and starts beating the crowd out of Sosthenes. But this dude clearly was also impacted by Paul's teaching, changed forever. Do you know how we know this? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother who? Sosthenes. So now Paul and Sosthenes, the guy that was trying to persecute Paul, have teamed up to now try to take the gospel to Corinth. And they're writing this letter together. Paul had had a huge impact. And the point I'm getting at is this. Evidence of a spirit-filled church is simply this. It's a place where the gospel is clearly and simply preached. And as a result, people's lives are changed forever. But here's the thing. In our immaturity, we're often drawn to less significant things. You know, we're drawn to awesome worship music, which I don't think we have a problem with that here because Jay Wooden Wagger, stellar. We're drawn to what we would deem funnier or more eloquent teaching. Or we're drawn to these mysterious gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing, which Paul's going to get into this stuff later in this letter. But he goes on in verse 6 and he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Now I just want to stop there before we read further. He says, yet among, the, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. In other words, he's implying that not everyone is mature in their faith. <clears throat> in fact, not many in Corinth were very mature in their faith. That's the whole reason that Paul's writing this letter. Last night, I, I played Denton City League softball on Monday nights. My team's pretty good. Uh, and I play in the outfield. And last night, I'm in the outfield, and uh, we hear this noise. There's an open field behind the outfield fence in North Lakes Park. And we hear this noise behind us, this like clashing and, and people yelling and stuff. We look over the fence and, and there's these dudes dressed up in like this medieval stuff, like fighting each other with these fake weapons. And uh, <clears throat> the guy playing center field, his name's Pat, <clears throat> as we're running in after the inning, he goes, dude, did you see that? There's people out there jousting. And I was like, dude, I'm really sad that I actually know this to correct you, but that's not jousting, that's called LARPing. And he looks at me and he goes, what in the world is LARPing? And I said, LARP, it's an acronym, L-A-R-P, Live Action Role Play. And he goes, what in the world is LARPing? <laughs> and I said, just basically picture like a bunch of grown men dressing up in medieval outfits and then like having these epic nerd fights with each other. That's what LARPing is. And so we go back, uh, <clears throat> we go back out in the field and about the fifth inning, I mean, all night long we're hearing like this, bam, and clash, and blah, and then people like yelling, for mortar, and doing all these crazy, you know, things, but then all of a sudden, you hear this loud, like, collision, and then this guy, we, like, we hear it, and it was so loud, so we look over the fence, and there's this guy laying on the ground, and he's, like, in the fetal position, he's crying out, oh, my leg, stop, time out, time out, and Pat starts yelling, nerd down, nerd down, nerd down, It was, it was awesome. But grown men, <laughs> grown men dressing up in medieval outfits and having these fake fights with each other, that's not a sign of maturity. You LARPers in the room. It's kind of like dudes who sit in the room all day and just play video games, Call of Duty, have your dynasty on Madden. That is not a sign of immaturity. Don't throw anything at me. I mean, God definitely, he fashioned, he formed the male species 
with the desire to fight, but he formed us with the desire to fight for things that matter. And mature men, they know that, and so that's what they do. They fight for things that matter. Immature men, they dress up in these little outfits, and they talk with these fake medieval British accents, and then they hit each other with these fake weapons. Not everyone is mature in their manhood, and in the same way, not everyone is mature in their faith. And that's what Paul's getting at here when he says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. But look at what he goes on to say. He says, yet among the, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. Basically, he says, okay, and, and I'm going to do my best to unpack this for us. Basically, he says, there's two very different wells from which we can draw our wisdom. There's the well of the world, and then there's the well of, of God, God's well. And he breaks down both. First, he describes the world's well. And, and listen to this. He says, it's a wisdom of this age. That word age, I'm pretty sure, you look at it in Greek, and it's basically pronounced eon. I think that's where we get our word eon, like eons and eons from. But the word age basically means a season of time or a, or a period of time. And you'll, you'll notice here that it is a singular noun, right? I got that right? Okay. So he says wisdom of this age, this season, this time period. And he says also this type of wisdom, it's doomed to pass away. In other words, every age has a beginning and a what? An end. And with these ages, with these seasons, these time periods, these different fads and trends come and go. There's a lot of fads, things that come and go. When it comes to fads, I love to watch fraternities. Because trends and fads spread like viruses among fraternities. They all wear the same stuff. It's the same junk. Some are more fratty than others. In fact, when I was at my last university, Texas Tech, there's a ton of fraternity. And I think that, I, don't quote me on this, I think they have the largest uh, Greek population, Greek meaning fraternity sorority population on their campus in the state of Texas by ratio, whatever. Anyways, the guy I worked with there, we'd sit down on campus and we'd develop this like system, okay, sort of fratty, fratty, and super fratty. And so as people walk by, we kind of logged, okay, that dude's sort of fratty, that dude's definitely fratty, that dude's definitely super fratty. And there are like different rules for it. You know, if you're just sort of fratty, that means you had maybe like up to no more than two fratty items on at once, sometimes just one. Like maybe you'd have one of those polo hats and then the glasses around your neck, like you're sort of fratty. Um, <clears throat> or maybe it's just the glasses and then like Sperry's and you're sort of fratty. But then like there's fratty and fratty is you usually have two or more. Sometimes though there are some items where it's just one of those items on makes you just fratty. Like even if you don't have anything else, it's just fratty. Uh, so one of those examples would be like one of those uh, fishing shirts, the Columbia neon, neon green or neon whatever fishing shirts, fratty. You're not even sort of fratty, you're fratty. Uh, or nobody wears visors except frat guys that are like polo visors. So if you have that on, you're, you're fratty. And then there's super fratty. And that means like head to toe, you got it all. Like you got the visor, you got the glasses around your neck, neck you got the Columbia shirt, you got the Sperry's. And then this new trend, it's really not new. But it's like, it's a, it's a growing movement, and I use movement very intentionally there. Uh, these chubbies, uh, I say movement very intentionally because it is a movement. They are very quickly getting shorter and shorter and moving up the leg. 
And then they're coming out with these other crazy designs. It's, it's weird to me that people are paying more and more for less and less pant leg on their shorts. But they're, um, I don't want to name any names because I'd hate to embarrass uh, Nick Holson back like this. But <laughs> Nick, is a, uh, Nick is a SIG app, I believe. And uh, I saw him. I'm trying to find him really quick. I don't know where he is. But anyways, uh, oh, he may have left just in time. Um, okay, well, so we're at our pool party the other night, and Nick shows up, and he's, you know, one of the things that's cool with these, well, cool, with these chubbies is for them to be like American flag chubbies, you know what I'm talking about? All right. And he shows up in these, uh, these shorts, they're like knockoff chubbies. Um, actually, later found out they're homemade chubbies. Um, but they're American flags, so they got like the, you know, the blue square here with the stars representing the states, and then they got the red stripes representing the colonies. And um, they're really short, and one of our life group leaders walks up to him and says, Bro, those are sweet shorts, which pause right there for a minute. Uh, you know, our life group leaders, they're all out of college. Some of them are older than others. And I just want you to know, like, if a life group leader says to me, uh, dude, that shirt you're wearing or those clothes you're wearing are sweet, I'm never going to wear those clothes again because those are the ones <laughs> who still think that those button-down Hawaiian shirts that are only cool at Jimmy Buffett concerts, uh, are, they think they're still cool, you know? So he says, dude, those shorts are really cool. And uh, Nick is like, sweet man, thanks. Yeah, uh, they actually used to be board shorts, but uh, I cut a few colonies off and I made them, uh, I made them uh, chubbies. And I'm standing there thinking, bro, you cut two, like three too many colonies off on that one. Uh, there's a lot of fashions. There's a lot of trends and fads that come and go. And, and chubbies, honestly, is one that I hope goes sooner rather than later. But the wisdom of the world, as Paul's saying here, the wisdom of the world is no different than any of these fads. I mean, right now, the world says, I mean, you see this on advertisements, billboards, everything. The world has a picture for how a woman should look if they're going to be sexy. But if you were to go to a few years ago, and you see pictures of what a woman who is deemed sexy looked like, it would be totally different. I mean, it's changing over time. There's all these different messages that change. Like, you're supposed to discipline your kid this way, now this way. Like, it used to be good to beat your kid with a spanking. Now they're like, no, it's against the law. There's all these different things that change over time. The wisdom of the world is constantly changing. The messages of the world are constantly changing. And listen, one of the major signs of immaturity is to be constantly changing. One of the major signs of immaturity is someone who's constantly hopping from one thing to the next. And you read on, verse 7, he says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Listen to how he describes the well of God. The wisdom that comes from God's well. He says, God decreed it before the ages. So we see that word ages again. But this time, it's not singular, it's what? Come on. It's not singular, it's what? It's plural. And that makes a huge difference. In other words, it doesn't change from age to age. It's constant throughout It's not seasonal, kind of like the aisle at Walmart that changes with the seasons. Right now it's Halloween, it'll be Thanksgiving next, and Christmas, then Valentine's, Easter, July 4th, and back to school and all that stuff. It's not seasonal, it doesn't change with the seasons. Your maturity is marked by which well you draw your wisdom from. Your maturity is marked by which message you're listening to. And if you want to know whether or not you are mature or immature in your faith, then just look at what you spend your time with. I don't know if you were here this couple Sundays ago when Dr. Jeff was up here teaching. Oh my gosh, this illustration he used was awesome. He asked everybody, he said, how many of you, by raise of hands, trust everything that you read in the news? And of course, 
Nobody raises their hands. And then he says, okay, how many of you by raise of hands trust everything you see on TV? Nobody raises their hands. And then he says, okay, how many of you trust everything that you see on the internet? Nobody raises their hands. And he goes through like two more. And he says, how many of you trust everything that you see or hear or read in this book? And everybody raises their hand. And he says, then why do you spend all of your time with the TV and with internet and reading the news and so little time with this? Why do you spend so much time with the things that you don't trust than any time with the one thing that you do trust? And at this point, I want to be like, You know, is he going to do something else? I love, I love seeing the different reactions between uh, white people and black people. We have a lot of white people, a lot of black people in our congregation. You know, white people, uh, they hear, you know, when they hear a truth bomb dropped like that, they're always like, oh, oh, amen, amen. And then there's like that one, there's like that one revolutionary who's like, and they're looking around like, come on, we need to clap for this. And nobody's clapping, so they're finally like, oh, okay, that's not going to happen there kind of slimmer down, you know? And then black people, when they hear truth bomb, uh, they, well, here we go. They're, uh, they, uh, <laughs> they're like, uh, amen. You know, they say something real loud or, the, or they give you the stink face. They look at you and like, <sighs> and then they, they look at the people next to them and like, you, are you smelling what I'm smelling? Are you smelling this? Anyways, everybody was like, I mean, you saw that happen when he dropped that. Such a powerful illustration. Why? Listen, why do we spend so much time with the things that we don't trust and so little time with the one thing that we do trust? You know, having traveled to a, some really cool places around the world, it's really interesting when you go to different third world countries, especially when you're like out in, you know, away from the city, what we would see and, and deem as uh, everyday basic hygiene, a lot of times these people they don't have any understanding of that. And so they do things that we would never do. And the biggest is, is they, they will drink from the same water that like they bathe in, or they'll drink from the same water that their cattle swim in and pee in and poop in and drink from. And like, even as I'm saying that, some of your faces are going, ooh. And then you're right. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. They drink from this dirty water and it satisfies them when they drink but the problem is, the result is these people are always getting sick. I, I, I took a group of students like three or four years ago to uh, the Amazon rainforest area of Peru, right in the middle of nowhere, working with this, uh, with this remote tribe called the Ashinika people, and uh, unreached, haven't heard of the gospel. Uh, and, and so we're, we're in their village, and I don't remember what happened, but our filter, you know, we have to pump, we have to filter our own water. Our filter broke or something. So me and this guy were like, well, what do we do? And so we, uh, we, still, we grabbed one of our bandanas, which we'd been wearing all day in the heat, and uh, we filtered the water through our bandana into a pot, and then we tried to boil the water uh, in this fire, and then uh, I think we had an extra, like half of an extra chlorine tablet we threw in there. And anyways, like we were all dying of thirst, and so of course I take a huge swig of this water, and it totally satisfied my thirst, but later that night my, my stomach got all sour. Then in the middle of the night, like when everybody's all asleep and it's not a big village, I'm I, like, oh, dude, I gotta throw up, and and when I yak, I yak, like it's really loud. And so I'm trying to run, get outside of the village, but I end up right in the middle of the soccer field with all these huts around me, and I just start everywhere. And of course, these little candles start lighting up, and people are waking up like, what, what's wrong with the white man in the village? But uh, when people drink from those dirty water sources, it satisfies their thirst, but it gives them, it makes them sick. It gives them worms. It, it's not good. 
And many of you, you're just like those people. Your thirst is being satisfied from the well that you're going to, but your belly is full of worms. Your belly is full of lies. And the result is you suffer just like they're suffering from drinking dirty water. You suffer as a result of drinking this from this well. I mean, no wonder that, that, that some of you are so depressed. And no wonder that some of you are contemplating right now suicide. No wonder some of you hate your body. No wonder some of you are just angry at everything and or you question your manhood, or all these different questions are going through your mind. Your maturity is marked by which well you draw your wisdom from. Your maturity is marked by which message you're listening to. And that's a huge question. I mean, we could stop there, but we're not. That's a huge question. Which well are you going to? But you go on, verse, verse 7 again, it says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages uh, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of, of glory. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw God using a man in the form of Jesus to be the one to save the world. Verse 10. We'll stop there. It's, it's, it's very clear what Paul's trying to say. The well that we must continue to draw from is God's well. The well of the gospel, the well of the truth. One, one commentator said, we never move on from the cross of Jesus, only into a deeper understanding of it. The reality is that, that Jesus, the gospel, that, that is your pure and living water source. John 4, you know, he sees the woman at the well and he, and he tells her, look, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink of water and you would never thirst again. When you drink of him, not only will you forever be satisfied, but you'll forever be cured. The lies, the worms will go away and you'll be able to walk in strength. You'll be mature. In our immaturity, we often hop from one thing to, to the next. In our immaturity, we often are drawn to less significant things. I want to go a little bit further. Verse 10, he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He says, these things God has revealed to us through who? Through the Spirit. Listen, this is a significant statement. I don't want to get too far into what we're going to talk about next week, but Paul, he's basically going back to what he said in verses 1 through 5. I mean, in his day, lots of performers, but very few preachers of the truth. Lots of people wanting to become famous, very few people wanting to make Jesus famous. And again, I, I, don't, I don't want to preach to you so that you fall in love with overflow. I want to preach to you so that you fall in love with Jesus. This isn't a place for me or for us to try and show what we're capable of, which we're not capable of much apart from God. But this is a place for God to show what he can do through the Holy Spirit. And you look at what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit, he is the one who reveals truth. 
The Holy Spirit, he is the one who knows all truth. The Holy Spirit, he's the only one who knows the deepest thoughts of God. And he says the Holy Spirit is the one given to us to help us understand the things that have been freely given to us through God. The Holy Spirit is who helps us understand the gospel. I mean, it's kind of cool. The, the past three weeks, we've seen the whole Trinity come together here, working together to bring us towards him, make us dead, or take us from death to life. God calls us. Jesus comes to us. Holy Spirit completes the work. All working together for one purpose. And the Holy Spirit teaches us what to say. That's what it says in verse 12. This is what's happening during moments like this, during this preaching moment. Do you realize that? This moment is not about what I can bring to the table. This moment is about what God and what he can do through the Holy Spirit. You know, so often people come up to me, this happened a lot the past two weeks, people come up to me and they'll say, dude, and I totally felt like the other night you were speaking to me. I'm like, dude, it wasn't me that was speaking to you. God was speaking to you. I heard one guy say, look, if... if if the presence of God isn't here, then it's just another gathering. And, and think about that. It's so true. Think about all the different places you gather with people, like the movie theater, or class, or, I don't know, concerts. Think of all these different places that you gather with people. If God isn't here, than what we do on Tuesday nights. It's not any different. It's not special at all. And then you read what he says in verse 14. He says, The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Try to unpack this real quick. Once again, we see Paul brings it back to where we started this whole thing. He brings it back to this contrast. Last week, the contrast was between those who are dead and those who are alive. This week, the contrast really is the same thing, but it's between those who are natural and those who are spiritual. And as I'm studying that this week, I'm asking the question, what the heck does that mean? So I kind of you know, study those words a little bit. And guess where it takes you? It takes you right back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just what we saw earlier, you back up a few verses. In verse 42, it says, What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Gives life to the spiritual body. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are also are those who are of heaven. In other words, those of us who are of the dust, like that's us, we were, we're just like Adam, we're sinners, we're going to die just like Adam. But those who are, who are of heaven, who are like the one of heaven, Jesus, then we'll have that, we'll be like him. We won't, we'll die physically, but spiritually we'll continue to live. Verse 49, just as we've been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And that's when he gets to the point of saying, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then verse 53, for the perishable body must 
put on or clothe itself with imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And it's not until that happens that we can sing that song, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It's simple. The natural body is the body whose soul is not yet alive. And it all comes back to this. You are either dead or you're alive. You might be alive in the flesh, but you are dead in the spirit. You might have a great pulse, but your spirit is dead. You might be breathing, but your spirit is dead. You might have everyone around you convinced that you are all good, but your spirit is dead. And so here's the two questions we end with tonight. First, are you dead or alive? The only thing that separates the two is Jesus. Are you dead or alive? Secondly, if you're alive, which well are you drinking from? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.